1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 317 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are
0: you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for today's episode. By the time you guys hear this, in like one or two days, I'll be going to Florida, which I'm excited to be going back to Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I don't even know if I told you that. Yes, I did. We you talked did. about it. You told me. We talked about it. Alex and I are doing the Fast Passes. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to get out of our our never-ending winter here. It won't end.
1: No, it won't.
0: I feel like when I when we were kids, winter started around like Thanksgiving, and then I don't remember when it ended, but it feels like now it starts way later, and then just goes on in perpetuity. Like <laughs> it never stops.
1: It never ends. So,
0: but I'm in Florida, so it's fine. I'll survive. And I was in Arizona last week. So. Plus,
1: it's daylight savings. Like we would would
0: seriously already
1: as of yesterday sunday
0: wait seriously i'm (laughs) hold on we're gonna keep all this in let's look this up in real time
1: march March 10th sunday march 10th oh my god
0: that's exciting get an hour of sunlight back
1: we have to spring forward though so we lose an hour on that first sunday so. so
0: just one though just one sunday that's what I always laugh in the when people when it falls back, everyone's like,
1: Yeah, we got an hour more of sleep.
0: I'm like, Yeah, and you lose an hour of, of light every single day for the next day. Wow, that is you just made my day. That's very exciting. Anywho, wow, yeah, and that's awesome. Okay, today's episode. It is so
1: totally not clear that we were recording this in
0: advance. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, seriously. <laughs> oh my God, wait, just yesterday I, I got an, an extra hour of sunlight. Um, So today's episode is an interview I did with Victoria slash V.E. Schwab, depending on if you read her adult or her YA stuff. And um, March is like the month of Victoria. She had her Steel Prince Volume 1, which is uh, graphic novels uh, set in the world of her Darker Shades of Magic books. That came out at the beginning of this month, and then The Near Witch, which was The first book she ever wrote was republished as well or is being republished uh this week but when this comes out so that's really cool and there's all sorts of collector's editions of her other stuff and she was just a blast to talk to the format of this interview is a little bit different because when i called her she immediately told me that she loves audiobooks and we just started giving each other audiobook recommendations back and forth for a while and then I was recording all that, and after like 15 minutes, I was like, we should probably talk about your books. <laughs> bet, nah,
1: it's fine. I bet
0: your publisher would like that. So It's fine. I'm going to try and cut everything so it makes sense, but if it seems like it jumps around more than a normal conversation, it's because I, I'm going to try and rearrange it so it makes sense. But we'll see what happens. It should be obvious by this point that while we're recording this, I haven't edited the episode yet. <laughs> so if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that?
1: Then go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. From there, you can get all of our social links. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can join our Viber community from there. And you can email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com.
0: Yes, you can. And you can, like, use that extra hour of sunlight to go take a walk and listen to our podcast or something. I just wanted to bring it back full circle.
1: Yeah, I picked up on that.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Anything else you think people should know about? No. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this very fun conversation with the wonderful Victoria Schwab on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <laughs> ¶¶ That's <laughs> true. By the way, speaking of fantasy, I can actually ask you some interview questions now because we kind of yeah. rolled into it. So, um, I guess
2: so. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. Whatever. So the thing that I'm supposed to be asking you about is actually the, <laughs> the awesome comics, the, the Steel Prince comics oh, that yeah. just recently came out, and there's some more coming out I think in, in March, right?
2: You The um, first bind-up, so the first trade paperback comes out right. in March, and then the second arc of the comics, uh, five through eight, will start in April
0: oh, that's so long from now. They're so good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, It's been really terrifying because at least I know I have like a following in fantasy. uh And then you come into comics and you're the new kid again and you're like, oh God, like nobody is going to get why I'm doing this or what I'm doing but I've really had a lot of fun
0: <laughs> well so for people who are listening in I just, I'm doing a horrible job of, in, of describing them but they're they're kind of <laughs> like comics in the world of the shades of magic stuff so can you kind of dive into yeah. why you wanted to uh, you know why you wanted to make these comics and the stories that you wanted to tell
2: sure so they for those who don't know the comics are called Steel Prince and uh, at least the first arc, first arc is called the Steel Prince and they are a prequel to the shades of magic series so they're set, set roughly 30 years before the start of a darker shade of magic and they follow the king Maxim rash before he's king when he's a prince and they follow these series that e3 arcs follow the three feats that gave him the reputation of the steel prince so yeah that's kind of the spoiler free i wanted to do it because interestingly at you know, I always thought, oh, I'm not going to write fantasy. I'm not going to write anything with a big world. I don't have the attention span. And then I wrote Shades of Magic, and I got about halfway through book three and was like, oh, no, I have, I have more story <laughs> than I have pages left here. And I'm, I'm a fairly firm believer in wanting to not veer off course in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, I know there are some authors, from Stephen King to Brandon Sanderson, who will tangent mm-hmm. in the middle of a book and kind of set, give you a glimpse into a different character's path. I just didn't want to do that, and so I ended up with some threads, some pads that I, I couldn't explore in the course of the narrative. And then uh, Tor, my publisher, picked up the next three books in the series, and that then accounted for moving forwards in time, because the next three books, which are called Threads of Power, the first are called Shades of Magic, Threads of Power is set seven to eight years after the end of Conjuring of Light. So then I knew I was moving forward in time, but I still had these stories that were happening just offshoots that I knew, kind of these tangential narratives that had happened before the start of Shades of Magic. And I didn't want to make them books as well, because I didn't want to move both forward and backwards in the world at the same time, Mm -hmm. kind of had my hands full. And then when Titan, who's my UK book publisher, but also has Titan Comics, Mm -hmm. which is a very big comics arm, asked me if I would ever be interested in writing a comic, my answer was, oh yeah, that'd be super cool, but I don't really, I don't really want to play in somebody else's sandbox. Mm -hmm. Like, I've seen the way that that can, can kind of turn toxic with like communal ownership of of a fandom Mm -hmm. and of the content and I really had my hands full with my own fandom. And then they were like, Oh, well, but why don't you just write a comic that's set in your world? I was like, I can do that. (laughs) Like you think like, and they're like, yes, Victoria, like we would let you do that. And so they were like, do you have any stories that you would like to tell that you didn't get to tell in shades of magic? And so it was just very fortuitous because I had mentioned Offhand in Conjuring of Light, these three feats that made Max and Maresh's reputation. Mm-hmm. And now I have this perfect medium in which to tell it. Well, and it, it also
0: lets you, you know, I would imagine that it lets you tell more stories in a, I don't want to say a short amount of time, <laughs> but like the story that you're writing, yeah. it's such a different style than what you And I don't doing. have to use
2: 500 pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can tell it in, you know, a shorter format. I can tell it in a different way. And plus, on top of that, selfishly, Shades of Magic is a really visual series. It's a series about magic. I was, I say it's like Harry Potter meets Avatar, The Last Airbender. And and it's one of those things where I've always wanted to see it portrayed visually. And mm-hmm. so Steelprints gave me the opportunity to not only codify the appearance of some of the characters but to give readers an idea of what I envision magic looks like. And I did hear from some readers who were like, aren't you worried that, you know, readers want to be able to visualize something for themselves, and now you're telling them what it looks like. And to that, my answer is, I'm telling you what I think it looks like. You should look at the comics as a way to see what the author intended something to look like. Whether you think it looks differently or not is totally fine, but it's like for those readers who want to get some insight into how I envision pieces of this world, the comics are a really cool way to do that.
0: I imagine you got to be fairly involved in the, like the visual direction because of the, you know, with the existing universe and the, the coloration and everything. Like I, I imagine you probably were more involved with that than, than a normal writer would be in a comic situation.
2: I mean, I think it varies. I think a writer's involvement definitely varies. But I think readers are often surprised to find out how involved I am. Like, mm-hmm. I i mean, I write all of the scripts. Mm-hmm. I write every issue from the dialogue to the art. Sorry, my dog just tried to jump on me. No, you're from good. From my dialogue to my art direction, I, I am fairly... I would say I am as involved as I can be while still wanting to give my artists themselves the creative freedom to do what they do best. Like, I'm coming into this... From a fiction standpoint, I'm not coming into this room and saying I know how the best way for every comic to be shown. Like these, is, you have to look at it as a different art firm and a different industry. And so, I'm definitely learning as I go. And at the same time, um, I'm very fortunate in having a really strong creative team that's giving me that space to learn and still giving me the direction when I want it, and still helping me learn this new medium because I am very new to it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious, uh, speaking of the medium and creating the stories in it, I've we were talking a little bit before, I think before I started recording, about uh, a mutual yeah. friend of ours of Yin Chang. You were on 88 Cups of Tea a while back. And yeah. one of the things you guys were talking about was, I think she had a, a question from like a, a listener or something that asked you about what feels more natural between writing for middle grade and, and young adult voice and adult voice. So yeah. kind of to play off that, I'm curious, what was the process like for you to write... A story that then becomes a comic like were you taking a huge chunk of what would normally be maybe 50 to you know 75 pages of a story like writing it out and then figuring out how to visually represent that with you know 50 words or just it just feels like such a different way to tell a story
2: it is a very different medium but i would compare it more towards learning a language like they say that the trick when so like the only other language i speak is french And they say that it's actually a really bad habit to get into to try and translate from English to French in your head. You have to get to the point where you learn to think in French. Mm -hmm. Because if all you're ever doing is translating from English to French, you're never actually going to grasp the nuances of the language. So because of that, I'm trying really hard to learn to think in comic format, and Mm. in a 22-page format, and in a, you know, one to six or seven panels per page format, to try and learn to think in the specific language of comics, rather than to just be adapting. Now, it's something that I am definitely learning, because thinking in a 22-page story format, this episodic format, is not very familiar to me, (laughs) if anything... I'm lucky in that I'm already a kind of a visual writer. I already think of things quite visually, quite cinematically. I have to kind of choreograph and picture an entire scene before I start writing it. So in that way, that's really the only advantage that I had. Um, But even still, it's just a different form. And I will say that I tend to think of my books as a series of interlocking episodes or escalating episodes. And in that way, it helps, but I still don't think naturally in 22 pages. I'm editing the fifth comic right now, and that part is really not normal for Mm -hmm. me. And so I do have to find myself simplifying in some ways and codifying. And maybe I would have 5,000 words to tell this particular episode if I were writing it in fiction. But I only have, you know, really 30 to 40 lines of dialogue to do it in my comic.
0: Well, and I something really cool that you do with the comics is you know we were you're talking earlier about when you had the opportunity to write comics and and Titan basically said create a comic in your own universe something that you do that I was laughing about because I remember reading the you know the Shades of Magic books and the first one you know really laying out the story of the the multiple Londons and the the, the color and yeah. everything and so you 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 know really beautifully like painted this picture and built this world whereas in the comic the first thing you see if you open these comics it's a, a description it's basically those pages as a one panel description <laughs> which is i know but it's awesome because to me you know you're talking about using existing your existing fandom but like this i think this is the perfect way to kind of build a new fandom because someone could pick this up and be able to understand the story you know right away without having read those
2: books well, the goal is that somebody can come to Steel Prince without having read Chase of Magic. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, there is a two-page spread mm-hmm. at the beginning of the comics that essentially summarizes, you know, 200 years ago... All of the Londons were connected, and then this bad thing happened, and now they're all apart. This is the London that the story takes place in, because it was really the only thing that needed to be explained for you to have an entry point into the book, into the comics. But it was something we worked on really hard, because I was like, okay, in every other way, you can just come to the comics without reading the books. But this is the one thing you really need to understand, because it's a central motivator for Maxim, and it explains in case we want to move in the future uh, into other pieces of the Red Londons and the White Londons and the Gray and Black Londons universe, it explains what happened so that we can do that. It's really the only piece of information that it was not possible to do the comics without the reader having that one primer, if you will.
0: Yeah, it it really is. It's just such a smart way of doing things because I feel like that's something that people who are trying to get into comic books, it can be a little overwhelming because we we've actually done episodes of the podcast before we have a bunch of people in our office who are comic book people and yeah they'll come in and they'll offer comic book recommendations but they they do a nice disclaimer of saying hey this is a comic that you probably don't want to jump into you know on on you know the 20th definitely iteration but but this is something where and you have this panel on every the at least the first four issues yeah it's so smart it's so smart this isn't even a question this isn't just me like showering you with praise
2: oh thank you (laughs) thank you i mean i tried because i did want to make the steel prince comic something that readers that new readers could come to and then come to shape the magic from it but it was it was a tricky thing and perhaps it's a little cumbersome for some comics readers, because it is a little info dumpy, but it was really the it was kind of a very important info mm-hmm. dump. So I think comics readers so far have forgiven me that. <laughs>
0: that's, that's good. All right, so we, um, I told you before we started recording, you have a ton of fans here at Overdrive, and one of them, thank you, yeah, and one of them wanted me to ask you a question about you know, the past couple years you've had so many novels that have come out sort of like back <laughs> to back to back. First off, I don't know when you sleep, yeah. but. I know this... uh,
2: I, I love sleep, but not very much these days with a puppy.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's very true. So, but I'm curious. This year, I know you obviously have the comics that we just were talking about coming out, but you don't have any novels coming out. So, does that feel like a brush of breath, or um, you know, you know, brush of breath <laughs> is it something that you're a little? I know that there's always like, no matter how successful a writer is, there's that complex of worrying about the next novel. So, like, what? How has it felt different this well... year, knowing that?
2: So, hold on, sorry, I'm putting a t-shirt on my dog because <laughs> she had surgery and she keeps licking her stomach. So imagine me literally trying to, like, dress a dog baby. Well, while... <laughs> okay, I'm back. Okay, so, I mean, so I do have one novel out this year, but it's a middle grade, so mm-hmm. it's for children, uh, it's called Tunnel of Bones, which is the second book in the City of Ghost series. But for the most part, yeah, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon for me. Really, there's an 18-month window where I'm quite a bit slower. And part of that, to be very honest, is simply because um, my last few books have taken a lot out of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I got progressively farther and farther behind in my schedule, because obviously readers see the front end of an author's schedule. They see the books hitting shelves, but they don't see the 24 months that happened before the book hit shelves. And if an author isn't working a solid year and a half to two years into their schedule, like ahead, they get behind. So people don't notice on the front end that I fall behind because my books are coming out on time. But the problem is by the time the books are coming out, I should have finished writing the next book. (laughs) And that's the thing that I fall behind on when I'm traveling so much and when I'm promoting. And so the last two or three books, I've just... my. My margins have shrunk in mm-hmm. terms of how much time I have between when the book is actually finished and when the on sale date is, and the tour—you sh- know—the tour starts. And so, for that reason, uh, I have this little bit of a what looks to the outside like a gap in my schedule. What on the inside is simply me trying feverishly to catch up <laughs> <laughs> on work. So it's, it's a bit weird. I have a little bit of a neurosis. I'm definitely afraid that I'm going to, like, disappear from the public conscience if I don't have a book out every six months. Mm-hmm. I'm very neurotic about this. But I am currently working on my next adult project, which is a very, very, very daunting book and that I've been working on it for eight years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I'm trying to find the headspace to both... Be a little better at humaning and at balancing my life and working on this very daunting book, and trying to trust that my readers will still be there if I take what looks like a two-year window between novels. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's it's funny you say, it, you know, because of all the different. Uh, first off, I didn't know the Tunnel of Bones was coming out this year. That's awesome. That's the for people. Yeah, who, that is. I I love the first Cassidy Blake book that you wrote. Is really.
2: Oh, thank you! Yeah, I
0: thought that. I didn't know that *Tumble Bums* was coming out this year. That makes me really excited. Yeah. Um, and actually, out
2: in September. (laughs) That's yeah.
0: i actually just looked it up while you were talking because I was like, wait a minute, I didn't know that. Um, and then for people who are a fan of your Cassidy Blake books, that's becoming a TV series, right?
2: Well, who knows? You know, it's in the works. Uh-huh. Um, I have several projects in the works, but I have had several projects in the works before, and I am now what I call a popcorn and, like, optimist. Mm-hmm. So basically, when I can sit in a movie theater with a bucket of popcorn or when I can sit in front of my television with a bucket of popcorn and watch it, then I will believe that it's happening, <laughs> and not until that point. <laughs> but, yes, it's, it's in development right now. Uh, I've had a huge amount of fun. It's the creepy fun book series that I wish I had when I was 10. Like, it is equal mm-hmm. parts scary and funny and fun, and the second book is set in, the first book is set in Edinburgh, Scotland, obviously, the mm-hmm. second book is set in Paris, France, and it's just been so much fun.
0: Yeah, there I liked that. But uh, yeah,
2: otherwise, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a lull. Yeah,
0: <laughs> actually, I described the Cassidy Blake books, to, to the first one, to um, someone like, it's almost like the R.L. Stein Goosebust books that I read growing up, but with a better sense of humor. Like, oh, thank
2: if that, you. <laughs> if that makes
0: sense, you know, because those are—I feel like those books. Yeah. I've read every single one of them as a kid. Those were the ones that we would like pretend to be reading a, a book for for school, mm-hmm. but I'd actually have that inside the cover. But. Uh, it's like there were there wasn't a lot of humor in those. It was always just very much
2: no. sounds horrible. Going on. And I think maybe it's coming off of *Shades of Magic* that I learned this that the darker the story, the funnier it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a really firm believer in needing to get the reader to laugh so that they exhale the breath they're holding. So like I think that the, the scary or the adventure or the you know the horror or the murder whatever it is all the dark forces in a book are much more potent if they're if they're interrupted by moments of levity
0: i think you just described why you and i are both fans of uh comedic memoirs because that's basically yes. <laughs> most of those so have dark. both both of those through lines in there yeah what
2: was it steve martin
0: oh born, really, uh, really born standing up
2: yeah, also, I just listened, it's not a comedy one, but from an actor's standpoint, The Life in Parts by Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. I also love it because audiobooks are narrated so often by the people. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm listening to a memoir or an autobiography or a biography, like it's nice to get that insight into a celebrity's life or into a comedian's life. Uh,
0: one that I highly recommend if you haven't listened to it yet is Eric yeah. Eric Idols. It's... Um, it's called a sort of Ooh, biography yeah it's uh always look on the bright side of life is what it's called
2: and okay, wait hold on because i'm i basically at this point i'm out of memoirs and autobiographies <laughs> like i've listened to all of them i am pretty sure i have listened to almost every audiobook of an autobiography or memoir yeah
0: so his like in in the book he talks about it his life it's almost, he like at towards the end of the book he said something along the lines he's like it's gonna sound like I'm bragging but I literally only know famous people so like his yeah like his best friend uh, was George I just, Harrison. I just
2: placed a hold. I just placed a hold on it through
0: overdrive. Oh, you are gonna love it. He comes off like a little bit pompous sometimes, but he brings it up. He's like, I'm yeah. sorry, I know that this sounds braggart, but it's I. This is the life of Do you have any
2: other recommendations just because I'm that person who's constantly desperate for more things to listen
0: to? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, H. John Benjamin, the guy who does the voice of like Archer and Bob's Burgers. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, Does he have have
0: one? Yeah. It's called Failure is an Option, which is really, really (laughs) good. Um,. And then uh, Guy Branham is also a stand-up comedian. He has one called yeah. My Life is a Goddess. Uh, did you? I
2: read that one. Okay. All right. Yeah, I loved
0: it. Um, let's see what I else. I loved
2: it. I actually, you know what came out this year that I was really, really impressed by? It and I was, I didn't expect to be, but I was like, I'm going to listen to it anyway because it's my jam. But it turned out to be really, really good. Is Busy Phillips. This will only hurt a little.
0: Yeah. That one is also really good.
2: I was really pleasantly surprised by it.
0: Um, I'm Trying to think of other ones I can tell you about. Oh, um,. Ghostbusters daughter? Uh, that oh no. One. Okay, so this one, that one is the daughter of Harold Ramis, um, Violet Ramis, okay. I think her name is, and it basically they had a really, uh, her childhood was really really different. They had a very kind of non-conformist yeah. upbringing, and uh, she just talks a lot about how it, how crazy it was that her, you know. Like, like Bill Murray to her was Uncle Bill for a long time. And just like, yeah, it's just random stories or it's really, but it's also now that he's passed away, it's very poignant. Mm-hmm. And she talks about, um, you know, just the, how much she misses him and, and stuff like that. And then there's another one. Um, you're a Parks and Rec fan, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So do you know the name Harris Whittles? No. Okay. So Harris Whittles was one of the main writers and he was also a stand-up comedian And um, this is a bit of a downer, but he overdosed on heroin like Mm -hmm. two years ago. And
2: not two years ago at
0: this point. It was actually a while ago. But his sister, Stephanie Stephanie Whittles-Walks, wrote a book called Everything is Horrible and Wonderful. Um, Okay, hold on. I'm typing it in. Yeah. It's like a bright yellow cover. This
2: is such good. I haven't... Oh, I see it. Yay. Oh, I can borrow the audio (laughs) book. Hello. I just like... I literally go through... Probably 40 to 50 audiobooks a year. Oh, yeah. And it, it drives me crazy because it's genuinely the only genre in which I am basically caught up. So it sucks. It's like I there's you know, I will never get caught up in the fantasy, I will never get caught up in sci-fi. I will never get caught up in so many categories. But if there is like a celebrity memoir, I have listened to it. So it's so hard because every time I ask for recommendations, which I, I do uh, a lot, because I'm always curious what people are reading, I mean I'll get like five hundred recommendations on Instagram on a post and I've read every single one of them. <laughs> I'm like, come on guys, I need you to think outside the box. So thank you for recommending genuinely four that I have not read. This has just never happened.
0: Oh man. That is so well, well I'm People to think. always
2: hit me with the like the obvious. They're like, have you read Trevor Noah? And I'm like, Who do you think I am? <laughs> of course you read Trevor Noah's autobiography or listen to it. Like, I've listened to all of
0: them. Okay, so what about, (laughs) um, what about Carrie Ellis' one about the making of Princess Bride? Did you... Oh,
2: obviously, obviously. Because, like, The Princess Bride is my favorite movie of all time. Mm -hmm. And I am a fencer. And I'm a fencer because I was 13 years old and I watched The Princess Bride and became obsessed with the concept of sword fighting from it. So, like, I... And so getting to hear about the way they trained for that and the way they used world-class fencers and then they got so good at it that they had to add more to the the routine i I love everything about that book
0: okay i just as a heads up i i started recording because i normally would do like an intro which i'll (laughs) i'll do in a second and then i'll pull it back but i was like well this is really good stuff might as well um okay okay so this one i feel like you're gonna say yes for sure especially because you live in scotland but did you read alan cummings not my father's son
2: uh, yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, I love that one. Okay. Um. He, I love that one. We actually,
2: I know. I, uh. I'm telling you, you're not going to catch me again with one I haven't read. <laughs> you're going to have to work harder. I, th-
0: this is really, really difficult because I am try- I actually am in the same boat you are, where it's like I've run out of biographies and autobiographies to, to read.
2: I really enjoyed um, Tiffany Haddish, Last Black Unicorn. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the Gabriel, uh, I'm forgetting her last name, We Need More Wine, Gabriel Union. Yeah um i absolutely loved retta's yeah that just came out okay wait have you listened to i'm gonna recommend that one to you because i think it's maybe one of my favorites now Nell scavel no um she's a hollywood writer hers is absolutely brilliant i'm gonna pull up the title for you i recommend this one to the moon and back for writers for readers for anything it's called just the funny part Nell Scavell has worked on almost every like big television show and she talks about the hollywood boys club she talks about how shows get made she talks about creativity and honestly like her audiobook there were so many times that it was a, I wish i had had it in paper because i wanted to quote things like i wanted to mm-hmm. highlight
0: now all right just the, just the funny card yeah. is that what you said
2: just just the funny part
0: okay i am i have putting this on hold as soon as we get done i have i have two more for you and then i swear to god we'll start talking about your books um first off this one obviously isn't read by him but did you read or listen to the mr rogers won't you be my neighbor i haven't yet
2: because i just looked at the documentary and i was worried i was just gonna
0: have too many feelings Mm, oh Um, you'll you'll have feelings but it was lavar burden who does the the audiobook. Oh,
2: okay. I'm gonna have to do it. Yeah,
0: that's the good neighbor. And then the other one actually doesn't come out till March, and I don't. And I'm I think the audiobook is coming at the same time. But um, never okay. has a person been more like uh, you two are a simpatico. Is I have a there's a, a podcast called Reading Glasses, which is another uh, okay reading but bo- uh, you know podcast, obviously. And uh, one of the co hosts' name is Mallory O'Meara. And okay. um, oh yeah, yeah. okay, she's a total badass. I will I'm happy to like connect you to, but she yeah, wrote a book me that, too. yeah, so her book is coming out in the beginning of March and it's about mm-hmm. um, Millicent Patrick, who's the creator that didn't get any credit of the design for the creature from the Black Lagoon. So,
2: yes, okay, I've heard about this book. Okay, remind me of the name.
0: So it's called The Lady from the Black Lagoon. Okay. And Mallory is, like, she's just the most badass person that I've ever gotten the chance to interact with. Oh, and I'm,
2: I have heard such, I've like, everyone I know has been talking about this one on the nonfiction side, and I want it so badly, so I'm very
0: excited to hear that. Yeah, I am, uh, she sent me a copy of uh, of an advanced reader copy, because we're going to yeah. we're gonna have her on the podcast. Even I mean, she's been on before to talk about, like, horror books and stuff, just whenever okay. she wants. But this one, it's, like, it literally, it's not just because I'm friends with her, like, it's... One of the best books I've read in a long time. Oh, I can't wait! Yeah, so
2: I can't wait. I already had The Good Neighbor on hold on uh, my Overdrive, so I'm I'm on top of it.
0: (laughs) So which which library do you use? By the way, I'm just is it?
2: I use Nashville because I that's when I that's where I was living when I opened the account. Yeah, and because I technically kind of still live there too, I split my time between Nashville and Scotland. Yeah, which is weird. But I, I basically, I still technically live, I live in both places. So are I'm not you, cheating. <laughs> are,
0: are you, cause actually, um, when my wife and I, in a couple of years for our 10 year anniversary, we're going to do yeah. England, Ireland, Scotland. So are you like in Edinburgh? Is that where you're?
2: I am. So okay. I actually live in a neighborhood called Portobello, which is <laughs> uh, Edinburgh is like two miles from the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone thinks of it as like a city on a hill, but it's actually like a city on a volcanic rim, uh-huh. and it's two miles from the sea. And so Portobello is right on the sea. So it's, I'm like in a, I don't even, I hesitate to even call it a suburb because by American distance standards, it's uh-huh. still like, Edinburgh is only like three miles across. <laughs> but uh, so I live like two miles outside of Edinburgh city center, and I live right on, like, I live two blocks from the sea. Okay.
0: That is super cool. Yeah. And like, that's basically where, where we want to spend, like, we're going to do a couple weeks over there and that's where we want to spend the bulk of our time. So that is, it is curious. genuinely, I
2: mean, there's a reason that I live here. Like yeah. I came to Edinburgh for the first time when I was 22 I'm absolutely miserable. I was living in a shed in somebody's backyard in Liverpool, which is a very long story. (laughs) And I needed to get away for a couple of days. And I was broke and I didn't have the money for it. But I I saved up like 200 pounds for this trip to Edinburgh because Mm I would always wanted to see it. And from the moment that I stepped off the train, it felt like all of the silt inside me settled and I was home.
0: Oh, my God. That is so cool. That is such a awesome story especially because like also would have been hilarious if you were saying like yeah I live here but it's not that great like if I'm just eh, it's fine <laughs> I so.
2: know I mean I did like move to another country because I loved it so much <laughs> so yeah. I do I also think as a writer it's important to like as someone who not just a writer but as someone who travels probably like 75% of the year for mm-hmm. work it's important to me that the place I come home to is just that is like a nest is some place that I feel serves me on a
0: soul level mm-hmm. also speaking of your house and and your, your apartment because i heard you i remembered you talking to to yin about this about your your bookshelf yeah. your like th- synesthesia yeah. style bookshelf <laughs> i have to tell you i was in an argument with one of my coworkers um a couple weeks ago about this like i even i use our podcast twitter to like yell at her and you and she was very uh-huh. mad at me about it because she does the same thing you do where she kind of makes it like a rainbow and yeah she didn't give me good reasoning for it but your reasoning makes sense that they're your books you know where you put them and you're also they're yeah. they're art they don't they're not
2: I was gonna say I don't reread so which yeah. is I know like oh it's one of those things that draws gas from the crowd <laughs> for a writer to say but I, I don't most for most of the time unless it's For a very specific reason or i'm craving something just insanely specific my to read pile is so tall Mm -hmm. that i don't reread but i love having books and many of them are signed because that is one of the luxuries of my job Mm -hmm. and so for me the books i have already read and the books that i own need to also function as decoration and as art in fact right before this call I was Googling rainbow bookshelves because (laughs) when I moved out of my apartment in Nashville, I had to dismantle my rainbow bookshelf and bring it here. Mm -hmm. And the shipment, which is 30 boxes Uh of books, just arrived this afternoon. And so I'm now trying to decide, because I actually have two smaller bookshelves in this apartment, Mm -hmm. I'm Googling images of rainbow shelves to figure out how I'm gonna do this, how I'm gonna design this particular set of shelving this time because I have to feel like I have to do it again, but I have to do it in a slightly different way because I have less room. And so I'm seeking inspiration, but I absolutely, for me personally, I stand by the rainbow shelves, but I don't, it's not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Like I don't tell people who are neurotic, like I'm neurotic in different ways, but I'm also intensely visual. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me. It, It makes me happy. But if it stresses people out to not have books by an author together or to not have You know, God forbid, a series separated by a shelf. Then I totally understand. You got to do whatever makes you happy.
0: Well, and I will say, because my wife and I actually just we just built and moved into a house finally after like a year's worth of delays. And when she was pulling out our, ironically, thirty boxes of books was what we had as well. (laughs) She was doing the same thing where she was putting them up because I'm not allowed to do our interior design stuff she's just way better at it like our house looks like a catalog because she has talent (laughs) and I would just mess it up and I'm I think it's important to know my faults with that but she um she'll do books by by author together but then she'll also do kind of like thematically so like your books Mm -hmm. are right by kind of like Neil Gaiman's books and Lee Bardugo's (laughs) books but that ends up making them kind of look similar in color most times anyway
2: I was going to say the fantasy has its own palette, right?
0: It? Yeah, it's exactly. It's all like the... I am
2: trying to decide if I'm going to separate by fiction and nonfiction this time, but I don't actually own a lot of nonfiction because so many of my friends and colleagues that I I buy the books to support them mm-hmm. are fiction writers, and so much nonfiction, as I said, I listen to through either OverDrive or Audible that I like own it digitally. I almost never own a nonfiction book without reason, unless it's a research book, I almost never own it. And so it doesn't even work for me to separate them by fiction and non I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm feeling very unsettled today because all of my boxes of books are <laughs> asking me what I'm going to do yeah. with them. Well, we did... Also, if you hear, like, a shuffle sound in the background, I'm sorry, my eight-month-old puppy is trying nope. to eat my
0: hand. Listen, I have an eight-year-old and six-year-old puppy. Perma- they're permanent <laughs> puppies. And norm- I do, like, yes. I do several of these podcasts from my house sometimes and they're in the background. So, honestly, mm. the, that is always welcome. But um okay <laughs> so we do we do YA and then like adult but that doesn't really work either because uh-huh. again people like you and Neil Gaiman and others you, you I was write say, everything where do
2: you put us <laughs> so
0: she has put you in YA but I because we okay. tend to do like I don't know we always also lump in fantasy with YA like no matter how mature the fantasy yeah. is which is an absurd notion but yeah so she well, put and
2: maybe it's the crossover of the audience yeah. you know maybe it's the fact that like like everyone's always like oh we're gonna get new adult fantasy and i was like that's just fantasy like most fantasy protagonists are in their early 20s yeah, you know so it's right. just we are technically the young adult fiction yeah,
0: yeah. um okay yeah. so we do on every podcast with our authors uh, a series of nine questions called the nerd nine are lighthearted. Right. uh we like alliteration really the only reason that they're named that <laughs> so these are don't give too much thought to these um not that we hit anything super heavy in our conversations here but what's the last book you finished reading i think you told me
2: weirdly the last book that i finished reading i finished it yesterday i cannot believe i hadn't read it sooner i'm gonna get so much shame for this is douglas adams the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy
0: That you know what you won't get any shame from me so that's okay i i think it's (laughs) totally okay um okay what's your favorite place to read
2: my favorite place to read is in bed
0: what book made you kind of fall in love with reading when you were a kid?
2: So, I've said this before, I know it sounds super trite, but you have to remember that I'm 31. Uh, I picked up Harry Potter when I was 11. Mm-hmm. I picked it up the year that it came out and the year that Harry Potter himself was 11, and I had the immense luxury of growing with Harry Potter. I'm not sure it's it's possible to recreate that in any way. And so I have to say that up until the Harry Potter books, I had never had the experience of reading where I forgot that I was reading, like where the page Mm -hmm. disappeared and I was just in the story. So that was such a transformative experience for me.
0: You, again, no guilt here. I am 33, so I had the exact same experience. And also on, on my left forearm, I literally have nine, or not nine, I have seven... Tattoos that make one long line, and they're all Harry Potter stuff. Oh, so, uh, yeah. I love
2: that. So you I love it. Also, I am. Um, you, so, you're of the generation two where you like grew up and you mm-hmm. would hear the trailer music, and yeah. it had that like like the harp noise, oh, the yeah. little xylophone, and it just gives you full body chills. Oh yeah, that's
0: still the like. If I'm doing my own personal writing, I, that's still the soundtrack I put on every single time. Yeah, 100.
2: percent They're very very good soundtracks.
0: Um. So, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not? Yet been to
2: Japan.
0: Oh, there you go. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate?
2: Oh, Christmas.
0: Coffee or tea?
2: Which is really funny because I'm like a pagan Jew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, Tea. The next one is cats or dogs. I think I know the answer.
2: Really, both. Oh. I have a dog, but all my dog wants in this life is a cat.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, that's that's fair. How about uh favorite food?
2: Dark chocolate. And like, it, really dark chocolate.
0: Like the like 85% Like 80%. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um and then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick?
2: Oh, probably Neil Gaiman. I have I've actually I've had drinks with Neil and I've had lunch with Neil, but He is uh, one of my heroes, but also just such an easy and really wonderfully genuine person to be around. I'm always looking for another opportunity.
0: I am fanboying so hard right now. (laughs) What a sentence. I've had drinks with Neil Gaiman. That's wonderful.
2: (laughs) Also, but it's also nice. You're always told never meet your heroes. and It's really nice when you can have an exception to that rule.
0: Yeah, and I feel like at least, like, 99% of the authors I've gotten to meet who I would consider, like, hero people, I, they've been, they've lived up to the hype, so I, that...
2: That makes me very happy.
0: Yeah, again, I have had very few bad, bad bad interactions with those, so, uh, okay, last question before I stop our recording, what do you hope readers take away from reading your books and your comics?
2: Oh, you know, I get asked this question a lot and I know it's supposed to be a super short answer, but I don't honestly know how to answer it because the idea with my books is that, is that they should just make you forget who you are for a little while and like like the person that you become on the page. Like they should make you want to be the people in the book. That is. And so I guess I just yeah. hope people finish. I mean, the goal for every writer is that you finish a book a little bit different than when you started it.
0: That is awesome. Victoria, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining us today.
2: <laughs> of course. Thank you for all of the recommendations. My, my reading list has been replenished.
1: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.